0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Gaia.com, the on-demand streaming TV service that helps you achieve your highest potential at your convenience. To get your first month at only 99 cents, visit gaia.com forward slash My7Chakras. My7Chakras, episode 220.
1: When something seems to change in the world, it is really you that is changing. The 7 Chakras, swirling vortices of energy
0: What's up Action Tribe, AJ here, your friend and the voice behind My 7 Chakras, the show where we explore the secrets of the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom. That can change your life. So if you're going through a difficult phase right now, then hold on because you might receive the inspiration you deserve right away. And right before we move on, Action Tribe, I have a small gift for you. After doing 219 episodes, I have learned that most of our listeners, in fact, all of our listeners love the book recommendations shared on the show. But sometimes, especially if you listen to the show on the go, it's hard to take notes. And that's why I've decided to put all of that information, all of the book recommendations in a document featuring the 21 must-read spiritual Books that will help you on your journey. To download your copy, go to our website, my7chakras.com forward slash reading list. That's my sevenchakras.com forward slash reading list. Put down your best email and wait for the download link to arrive in your mailbox. Your email box, not your physical mailbox. <laughs> and with that, it is now time to bring you our special guest for today, Sahara Rose. So Sahara, are you ready to inspire?
1: Oh yes
0: great so sahara rose is an expert in the mind body connection she is the author of the upcoming official idiot's guide to ayurveda which will be available in bookstores this august as well as a certified ayurvedic practitioner sports nutritionist and holistic health coach she is internationally known for her unique blend of ancient eastern healing methods and modern western nutritional science with plant-based recipes and has spoken at events such as michelle obama's Let's move campaign at the Harvard Medical School. So she's with us today. Sahara, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love all of your episodes and the insight that you bring out into the internet. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And likewise, I love what you're doing. And we're going to dive deeper into uh, some of the different things uh, that you're doing, including uh, all your work in Ayurveda. But before that, let's begin our show with an inspirational quote. So, what quote do you have for us today, and how do you apply it in your life? So
1: the Rishis said, um, when something seems to change in the world, it is really you that is changing. And I love this quote because oftentimes it's so easy to get caught up in the negativity and the fear that is going on. But really, we are living in the most miraculous times and so many synchronicities are Taking place around us, and when we choose to focus on those, our reality really shifts, and we realize that we are co creating the world around us just from our mindset. So it's something that the Rishis have known for over 5,000 years, and something that we are relearning time and time again.
0: Got it. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that quote. So, when something seems to change in the world, it is usually that you need to change. Is that correct? It it,
1: it is really you that is changing.
0: It is really you that is changing, Action Tribe. Uh, What we're learning uh, through all these episodes is that the universe does not just comprise of what is around you, that is the planets and the stars, but there's also a version of the universe within you. And uh, there are so many things that are going on within your body that is changing. And once you notice and get to learn more about the universe within you, you'll be able to relate to the universe around you, the world around you as well. And that's when you're, you'll be able to make a massive uh, shift. So thanks a lot for sharing that really, really amazing insight with us. And with that, let's dive in. Uh, Sahara, what is Ayurveda for someone who is new to this topic? So
1: Ayurveda is a word that some of us have heard around, but we're not really sure what it is, especially if we've taken yoga before. But it is the world Oldest health system. It originated in ancient India 5,000 years ago, some say even older than that, and it is the sister science of yoga. So, Ayurveda means the knowledge of life. So, in order to be healthy, you must have complete knowledge of all areas of your life your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, etc. So, it is an integrative health as well as spiritual system that pays attention to different imbalances and how they show up in different parts of your body or in your personalities or even in your dreams. And it is a predecessor to yoga because yoga is the practice of spiritual attunement to become one with universal source. But you cannot transcend your physical body when you still have imbalances going on. So Ayurveda must first be practiced so you can Get rid of any issues that you're holding on to, any emotional baggage, any digestive issues, etc., so you can truly practice yoga.
0: Awesome. Love that definition. Uh, it's the world's oldest system, and as you mentioned, uh, did you say 5,000 years back? Yes. Great. So, Action Tribe, just imagine Jesus Christ was there about 2,000 years back. This is 3,000 years before that, so you can't even uh, quite uh, fathom how old this is, but it's been um, hap- you know, there since then, passed on from generation to generation uh, so that people mm-hmm. can really really use this information and transform their lives it's the sister science of yoga and it pays attention to imbalances and how they show up in your life and dreams as well that's something i did not know but imbalances and things that appear or uh, manifest in your dreams as well so love that so what is an ayurvedic mind body type because i noticed that you speak about that concept a lot
1: Yes, yeah, so in ayurveda there are are three main mind body types they are basically archetypes so just like you know some we have different personality types it's basically their system which are based off of the natural elements so they are vata pitta and kapha so vata i like to compare with the wind it is dry cool moving flowing so whenever i say vata just think of the wind Pitta, I like to compare it with fire. It is hot. It is assertive. It is passionate. It is strong. So whenever I say pitta, just think of fire. And then kapha is related to earth. It is grounded. It is calm, giving, stable. So whenever I say kapha, think of earth earth so essentially these elements exist inside of us just like how you said we are a reflection of the world around us but in different amounts some of us are a little bit more fiery others are a little bit more earthy some of us are more windy so ayurveda is the practice of balancing these elements and they're constantly being thrown off balance with our environment our stress levels our diet etc so ayurveda is the practice of bringing all of our elements back into balance
0: got it so you have it's dry cool and imagine the wind blowing mm. against you Pita yes. is more hot so think spices uh, uh, paprika or you know different types of spices that are available i can't even remember <laughs> the names right now but and then you have kapha which is grounded calm earth-like uh, stable gaia that sort of uh, thing and so you sort of pointed out that they might be personalities but also what i'm thinking is there might be types of food as well right which you intake and which influence your body. Now, the other thing that usually comes to my mind when I think about imbalances or changes is seasonality, right? And I think that's really important as far as Ayurveda is concerned. So could you talk to us about the importance of seasonality in uh, the system?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. So when it's like September, it's back to school time and everyone's feeling very creative, maybe you're starting new tasks. And similarly, the weather is cold and dry and moving. It is the vata season. So in our bodies, we are more likely to feel vata imbalances. If if our bodies are cold, our digestive systems are weak. If there's too much wind in our systems, what happens? We're, We're gassy, we're bloated. So this wind shows up in our bodies, but also in our minds that sometimes we're It can be a good thing that we're really creative and starting new tasks, but it can also be anxiety and being overwhelmed by too much going on. So these are all issues that we deal with in the fall. Then in the winter, as the weather becomes a little bit more moist with the snow or the rain, it becomes more kafa, which lasts into spring. So kafa is when we don't want to go out in the winter. We tend to eat heavier foods. We gain weight. uh, Uh, winter weight is very common thing that happens we feel more grounded in nature and it's a time of natural hibernation so naturally at this time we need more warming foods because the weather is colder so we feel these coffee characteristics of weight gain and even sluggishness in our bodies and also in our minds we're a little bit more grounded calm and maybe less going out there and trying new things then as the weather warms up, it becomes pitta season. Pitta is fire. So we're getting right back into our flow. We're very action oriented. We're spending a lot more time outdoors. We're much more athletic. And then in the body, when there's too much fire in the body, sometimes that shows up as hyperacidity because the digestive system is the fire. So when there's too much stomach acid, that leads to heartburn and even ulcers later on. So that's all pitta related. Then in the mind, when, you know, someone says you're hot and bothered, what that is, is when there's too much heat in the body, it can manifest as anger and agitation. So that's why it's really important to remain cool, cool off off and eat things that naturally grow at that time of year so in the summer we naturally have more leafy greens and fruits and things like that because that's what our bodies need to cool off
0: got it so uh, are we right now in the pitta stage as, as on today um,
1: i mean it also it depends where you are because also every every part of the world is very unique so where i live in los angeles the weather is generally more dry than it would be in for example florida so for me, I'm always going to have to incorporate more moist foods in my diet because the weather is so dry. So even where you live plays a role.
0: So what would happen in a place like Vancouver, BC, where it's, uh, you know, wet one day and the next day it's so dry, people want the wet back, and then it keeps changing like the British climate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, that will throw off your vata because vata is unpredictable. Vata doesn't know what to expect. Anytime you travel, vata goes up and anytime there's a seasonal change so a, a drastic shift in weather is going to increase your vata and vata is the dosha that gets thrown off balance most e- easily almost all of us suffer from vata imbalances because we live in such a vata dominated society
0: got it so as you were sort of describing these uh, you know three periods or you, you spoke about kapha pitta and, and vata what i was imagining was not just the nutrition side of it and not just the archetypes or personalities but also uh, you know times when you can or cannot launch a venture or a business right mm-hmm. so what i'm guessing is uh maybe times around september when you're more creative that's when it's better to start something whereas what you pointed out was uh kapha not so much right because you're more grounded you don't want to take exactly. action okay okay that's interesting
1: yeah so vata would be the time to do to brainstorm what's the venture what is it going to look like the creative stuff kapha would be the time to embody it, put put the work into practice. And then pitta would be the time to launch it and get it out there.
0: All right. So pitta is the time when you need to take action, when you sort of go outdoors in your business. Uh, yes. and that's when. That, okay, got it. Makes sense. And uh, you spoke about doshas. Uh, what exactly are doshas? How, how are they related to this?
1: So these are the doshas. Vata, Pitta, Kapha are the three Ayurvedic doshas. I call them mind-body types because essentially that's what they are. But the word dosha means energy. So these are the three energy types that Ayurveda deals with. And they'll describe everything from a food. This is a pitta aggravating food. This is a vata characteristic. Everything is described in the terms of these doshas, these
0: energies. Got it. So when I first heard dosha, what came to my mind was the Indian snack, which is dosa. Uh, but Uh, uh, (laughs) learning something new each and every day. No, no
1: doses, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when did you first hear about Ayurveda? How did it begin for you?
1: So when I was studying nutrition, um, one of the lectures was about Ayurveda. And at that time, I was a raw vegan, which is probably the most opposite type of diet you could have. And I heard about Ayurveda, and I've always been someone who's just very interested in like personality quizzes and learning about the archetypes and things like that. So I found it really interesting that there's this type of eating that has to do with your personality. That just intrigued me. So I started researching more about it, taking quizzes, going online. But I still wasn't sure what's my dosha. I could relate to all three. I wasn't really sure if I fell under a category. So I sort of just ignored it. It and thought, oh well, it's it's so old. It's probably not even accurate. It needs to be updated. And also, since I was a raw vegan at that time, when I read the suggestions of eating, you know, dull which are pulses, they're like lentils and and rice and ghee and all of these things, I was like, no way, I'm not eating any of that stuff. So, um, it wasn't until I suffered from my own health crisis. My body literally started shutting down. Um, I was living in India at the time and I was a raw vegan in India, which I'm sure you can imagine how weird that is for people in India. Um, And my body was just not having it. I was experiencing a lot of vata imbalances. I would faint often. I hormones became irregular my hair started falling out i lost a lot of weight like 30 pounds i was 88 pounds for 5 foot 4 person i was so small and but i was eating all of these foods but what was happening was my body was no longer absorbing the nutrients of the foods anymore so i was malnourished the same way a starving person is, even though I was eating. So I decided while I was in India, it would be a cool experience to go visit an Ayurvedic practitioner just as a cultural experience. not ever thinking I would take anything she said into consideration. So I went and she took my pulse and she asked me all these questions. And I was like, why is why is she so nosy? Why is she asking me all these things? And she told me if I continued on this path, I would be infertile. I would have Alzheimer's and have osteoporosis. Mm. And that re- really hit me in the head like a bag of bricks because I was seeing that this diet, that was an ideology to me, that I was so saying raw, raw food is the way and that nothing else is the answer. Sir, that it was exactly what was hurting me more than anything. So I had to reconsider everything.
0: Right. So what about raw veganism attracted you? Because I'm sure that's something that you liked, which is why you took action in the first place, right?
1: Yes. I mean, I was attracted to it because I felt very light and airy when I was eating raw foods. Mm-hmm. As someone who already... Already has a lot of vata in me vatas are attracted to that they like the feeling of being on a juice cleanse and fasting and just feeling really like they don't i hated the feeling of feeling full or like eating even warm cooked foods and i wouldn't even really sit down to eat a meal i would just i would just always be up and walking in and eating while doing something else and um and that feeling of, you know, I thought it was being light, but really what my body needed was balance. I needed to ground down. I needed to become more into my body.
0: Got it. Got it. Makes sense because you seemed like a Vata personality and that's what you liked. And so you ended up doing more of that and eating stuff that brought you closer to who you were, but that caused an imbalance, right? Well,
1: it's not even closer to who I was. It was creating just an imbalance. So a body that is out of balance further Mm -hmm. creates the foods that knock it out of balance. A body mm. that is in balance further craves the foods that bring it in balance. So it's like a pendulum that swings both ways. Yeah. The more out of balance you are, the more out of balance your body wants to become. But when you make that shift and you go back into balance, then your body starts craving the foods that you need.
0: Got it. So it sounds like inertia. You don't want to change, right?
1: Right. I mean you you just start, you know, feeling good in your own ways and you don't look at the symptoms that that it's not working for you. And I know a lot of people with the raw vegan diet, you feel really good at the beginning because it's great for cleansing. But a year into it, it's your body does is from an Ayurvedic perspective, your body was not meant to only eat cold foods, you need warming foods, because your digestive system is warm. I had to get off of raw foods for over a year. And now I can eat raw foods. Again, I don't eat 100% raw, but I can eat raw foods again with no problem, but I just have to find that balance for me. In the summer, I can eat more raw foods. In the winter, it's more cooked foods.
0: Got it. Now, I'm not sure if you've mentioned this, but what brought you to India in the first place?
1: So I was teaching health and sanitation in the slums. Mm. Um, I was living in Delhi, volunteering there, and, and I've just always been very fascinated by India, studying the Vedas. I started practicing yoga when I was young. I was practicing Ashtanga there, so... Um, that's what brought me there. And I mean, on a deeper level, it was because in my past lives, I must've been working in Ayurveda and it brought me there to learn it again. Got
0: it. So Action Tribe, just in case you don't know, New Delhi is the capital of India. It's up in the North and yes. I am from the West, Mumbai. Mm. <laughs> Got it. So talk to us about the importance of, uh, proper nutrition. Is there something that's missing in most people's diet?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that's missing, but the, beautiful thing about Ayurveda is there's not just this one thing that all people are missing. It just depends on you. Um, If I were to say one thing, I think people could incorporate more spices into their diet, not like spicy food, like sriracha and just tons of cayenne pepper, but like ginger and turmeric and cumin and cinnamon, because these spices are medicine. Ayurveda is called a kitchen science because it uses foods in the kitchen to heal your body. So I think just by incorporating more of these medicinal foods into our everyday diet, we are able to prevent so many diseases.
0: Got it. I love the name Kitchen Science because I'm guessing there's a lot of experimentation that goes on with Ayurveda, especially in the kitchen, right? And it depends on person to person. Well, the reason it, yeah, yeah,
1: the reason, and it was called that is because when the British rule took over India, they made Ayurveda illegal. They said that this is barbaric. This this doesn't make sense. And they imposed Western medicine upon India. So Ayurveda had to go underground. Ayurveda is actually from northern India. It had to go underground and it found refuge in Kerala. And that's where most of Ayurvedic Panchakarma centers are today, and that's why Ayurveda became a kitchen science. But before, it was practiced in all of the hospitals. All the doctors were Ayurvedic. It was the leading medical system of India.
0: Absolutely, that's what I found as well in history. Um, Not just the not just Ayurveda, but other forms of Veda and uh, you know knowledge and uh, um, you know even spiritual information. A lot of it sort of uh, moved down to South India. And mm-hmm. that's where it was without uh, any interference. People re- were able to spread it and, and practice it. Um, so that's that's a trend that I've definitely noticed as well. Could you talk to us about the importance of hormonal balance? Because that's also something that's really important, right? What are we talking about here?
1: Oh, yes. I mean, hormones are something that they're like a fine-tuned machine. And you have to always be making sure that you're you're still in pitch. And yes. for a lot of us... Um, for a lot of women, I see what happens is you step so much into your masculine, you're always doing and achieving and moving and acting, that your hormones actually shift. Your estrogen becomes too low. So that's why PCOS is a huge, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a huge epidemic that they say one in eight women suffer from today. Got it. Yeah. So basically, what's going on with us hormonally? hormonally is a reflection of what is going on internally so if you are very very high in your masculine chances are you might lose your period which is what happened to me or just lose touch with your feminine side so and at the same time um for a lot of men it's low testosterone a lot of men are not stepping up to their masculines a lot of men are not in tribe and in community and they have cell phones in their pockets all the time and wi-fi on their laps and this actually brings down testosterone as well
0: got it so so then, uh, you know, in terms of the solution, we're talking about the fact that men need to balance their hormones based on what hormones they need more of and what they need less of, uh, as well as women, right? So how does Ayurveda help with uh, the balance of hormones? You spoke about testosterone, estrogen, uh, and I'm sure there's the importance of insulin as well, right? Uh, up levels of that.
1: Yeah. So, well, insulin would be your, your blood sugar levels, but that's important as well. So... With estrogen, the thing is, most of us are too overexposed to bad estrogen because of the foods that we're eating. Right, you know, when you're yeah. eating, when you're eating meat that has been pumped up with hormones and antibiotics and all of these things, your estrogen, your bad estrogen levels are going to go up. And this is also related to all of the breast cancer, prost- prostate cancer, um, all of these issues that are showing up in today's society. So I think the number one thing you should do is if you're eating animal products. Eating meat, eating dairy products. Make sure it's organic. Otherwise, it's like you're it's like you're eating hormones every single day, especially hormones that have been pumped into another animal. Before in Ayurveda, they could eat you know milk from their cow that was like fed the best grass and prayed to every single day. It was a very different day and time. It was mm. also raw today it's very very difficult to find raw dairy products almost everything is pasteurized thus no longer has the living enzyme so trying to make that effort to making sure your food quality comes from a good source is really going to shift your hormones
0: got it so i think that's a great point over here is uh, not just eating good food but making sure that the food that you purchase or the vegetables that you purchase or even meat or eggs are organic is that mm-hmm. correct uh-huh. Any other uh, advice or recommendations to avoid that uh, bad estrogen?
1: Um, that would be the number one way. They've done studies on 8-year-old boys before and after eating a hamburger. And the, the boys would have like over three, 300% more estrogen in their systems after eating a hamburger, showing how much estrogen is is in our meat. So if you cannot afford eating organic meats and animal products, then it's better to not eat them. Like, that's how serious it is.
0: Got it. Yeah, now, yeah. we're going to move from the you know, topic of nutrition to cleanse, because, you know, uh, cleaning up the entire system is so important, but doing it in a way that serves your body is also important as well. So in this context, what is kichiri?
1: So kichiri is the world's oldest detox method that comes from Ayurveda, and it is traditionally the practice of slow-cooking mung dal, which are mung beans, with um, a series of spices that are normally customized for your dosha, and basmati rice, which is Indian long-grain rice, and you slow-cook it together and you just eat that for a period of time anywhere from three days to seven days and some people do it for months um the beautiful thing about it is you can you can eat kitchery for as long as you want you're still getting all of the macronutrients that you need as well as micronutrients so it's really nutritionally balanced whereas if you were on like a juice cleanse or a cayenne cleanse or whatever else you you can't keep keep that going indefinitely. So with the khichri cleanse, it allows your body to release the toxins without putting your system into a state of shock. And it also warms the digestive fire, which makes your digestive system much
0: stronger. Got it. So I understand the warming up part, but what is in it, what is in kichiri that helps with cleansing? Because if you look in look in India, like I've been born and brought up in India, khichri was really popular. You know, Mm -hmm. especially in Gujarat and in Mumbai as well, it was like a snack. It was easy to make. I never liked it (laughs) growing up, khichdi, but Mm -hmm. uh, there were people who were really used to it as a part of their daily routine. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to what is it that is in khichdi that helps with the cleansing part um, of our body.
1: Mm -hmm. So, what khichdi does is it allows your body to cleanse itself. Our bodies naturally have a cleansing mechanism. The reason that they get toxified is because we eat foods that no longer allow our bodies to cleanse themselves. So when you eat kitri, kitri is extremely easy to digest. All of the ingredients have been slow cooked together. It is warm, so it warms up your digestive system, whereas when you have green juice, it's cold, so it's inhibiting your digestive fire. So since it's warming up your digestive system, it allows your body to no longer secrete any extra energy expenditure towards digestion. And digestion takes about 80% of our daily energy expenditure. So imagine if you're no longer using up 80% of your energy to digest your food, and instead, you can use that energy to heal your body. And that's what makes it so detoxifying. So really, what it's not that there's something they put in there that's detoxifying, it's that it's so easy for, for your body to digest, digest that your body can do the work, and at the same time, it provides you with the cumin, which is also good for your digestion. The ginger, all of the spices you need that are medicinal.
0: Got it. Now, uh, one of the reasons you mentioned kitchari is so good is because it is sustainable, right? You can have it on a daily basis. It's warm. It's good for your body, as opposed to a juice cleanse, which is cold and which you can't sustain, right? You you would have to stop after a certain point and get back to your. Um, you know, to the food that you're used to. But uh, from a time standpoint, how long does it take for a person who is trying out khichdi to see some results?
1: Three days. So I have a khichdi cleanse that's on my website. I've Mm -hmm. upgraded the khichdi cleanse that I I don't use the same rice. I've replaced it with quinoa. I've added some different um, ingredients that are not traditionally fine in Ayurveda that make the, because a lot of people have trouble digesting beans and they're like, Oh my mm. God, I can't do that because beans make me bloated and gassy and whatnot. So I added in a specific ingredient that helps with that and just made it super simple as well as tridoshic And every single person I know that has done it for three days, just Friday to Sunday has experienced radical shifts. So that's all it takes. Your body is working with you. It's your friend. You just just have to give it a chance to let it do its thing.
0: Awesome. So I love that you have this option for quinoa because uh, I know for sure that there are some people who are not, uh, who are maybe allergic to basmati rice, like my dad is allergic to basmati rice. Uh, and so I guess the quinoa will be easier on people who are not used to this different type of long grain rice, mainly available or sourced, I guess, from, from northern India. Uh, now, one of the challenges that our listeners have is maintaining optimum energy levels right throughout the day. Many of them are working nine to five jobs, so they're really busy. And uh, although they might feel energetic in the morning, uh, they might feel a bit exhausted and fatigued by the time it hits uh, mid-afternoon or evening. So, do you know why th- this might be happening?
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. So, the doshas operate in a in a daily cycle, and they're connected with the circadian rhythm. So, when it's two p.m. to 6 p.m. vata is the highest so it is normal to feel an energy slump or crave chocolate or another coffee and things like that because vata is higher for every single person so what you need to do at that time is balance that vata what that means is balance the wind what's the opposite bringing up the fire and bringing up the earth so the afternoon instead of having something sugary or a coffee could be a really good time to have like like a sweet potato or something that is a root vegetable or having like lemon with ginger or something like that and then also grounding down if you can spend some time in nature i love just lying down on the floor like even if i'm just by my desk, I just lie down on the floor. And that connection with earth and grounding down is what your body needs because it's so lost in that vata of so many things going on, and you're overworked and you're wired that you just need to come back and root into your body. I love using a foam roller as well because so, so many times we hold on to emotional tension in our physical bodies and just kneading out our bodies can help release a lot of blocks, which are really what is making you tired.
0: Wonderful. I think that's a really, really good actionable step that people can take, especially if they're facing this challenge. For example, I used to, in the afternoons, uh, you know, I used to work close to a library, a big library here in Vancouver. So I used to go for a little walk in the afternoon, uh, accompanied by deep breathing. That sort of helped me Uh, get back into my body and make me made me feel energetic so that I could focus on the work at hand once I was back. And also, you know, uh, I used to go to the library and uh, maybe check out some amazing books on Mm -hmm. uh, different topics and then sort of uh, get inspired once again and get back to work. So I think that's that's really, um, really actionable.
1: Yes. I mean, every time you're tired, you have to check back in and see, are you being your highest Self at this moment because your highest self has infinite energy. It is boundless, and if you're feeling tired or exhausted, then chances are you're not in alignment with your truth.
0: Got it. Now we've spoken about the next topic uh, in a couple of episodes in the past, but it has been a while. Uh, so, what is uh, oil pulling, and how does it help with? Uh, how does it help us?
1: So, oil pulling is essentially what I like to call Ayurvedic mouthwash, but it is the practice of Of putting a tablespoon of oil, either coconut or sesame oil, into your mouth. And basically, you're not pulling it, you're kind of pulling it through your teeth, but you're rinsing through your mouth the same way you would mouthwash. But mouthwash has antibiotic, I mean, antibacterial components in it. So it kills any bacteria in your mouth, good or bad included. But just like we know when you're taking antibiotics, when you take them, you're also killing the good bacteria. In our mouth, we have good bacteria too. So if you're using antibacterial mouthwash, you're also killing the good bacteria, which over time makes the bad bacteria get stronger and stronger and grow and grow. So what we need to do is we need to release the bad bacteria that's stuck in our, our, on our tongues and our gums, et cetera, without killing the good bacteria. And that's how oil pulling comes in. So with oil, if you ever had like a wooden table, if you clean it with water, you're not really cleaning the table. But when you use oil, you're able to get into the little surfaces and cracks of the wood. So that's what oil does. Oil is an agent that the toxins bind onto. So when you put the oil in your mouth and you swish around with it, you can do it anywhere from five to up to 20 minutes. A lot of people, they hear about oil pulling and they're like, you have to swish oil in your mouth for 20 minutes. No way. And that scares them, but you don't need to do it for 20 minutes. Even if you can just do it for one minute, that, that is still great. I like to say, just start with 10 seconds if you can and then move up to one minute and then move up and the thing is you don't have to just stand there and like stare in the mirror while you do it you can get ready for your day you can get changed whatever and the oil is just in your mouth you probably forget about it that the 20 minutes eventually will just fly by
0: so you go action tribe another actionable step that you can try out if you've not tried out oil pulling in the past uh Today might be the time for you to test it out. You don't have to do it for many minutes. Even one minute is fine. But experiment. Uh, Try it out. See how it feels like. And if you like it, then you can uh, send me an email or you can send Sahara an email or you can post on our uh, Facebook page, uh, sharing your experience for others to try out as well. So Sahara, based on what you have shared so far, uh, what is that one Ayurvedic action step that you'd like to recommend for our listeners in terms of what to do?
1: I think if everyone can include hot water in the morning, that would be an amazing thing to just get your digestive system going and feed that digestive fire without overheating it. It's so important in the morning to feed your body some warm water because it hydrates your body at a deeper level than just room temperature or cold water because, again, your body doesn't not want to expend extra energy that gets rid of the energy for healing so when you drink warm water that's raised to the same temperature as your internal organs that's less energy required by your body to heat up the water and more energy for digestion so it doesn't even need to have you can add later on cinnamon cumin ginger all of these things but just to start just start with hot water just that once you start having it you're going to notice you're going to crave it
0: to access the show notes for today's episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 220. That's our website, my 7 forward slash 220. And before moving on, a word from our sponsor, Gaia.com. you will experience massive success in your lifetime at just the right time if you take action not a day before and not a day after but you can never tell how close you are to the imminent i recently created this quote and I feel that it applies to all of us. Action Tribe, I know that each one of you has a dream, a vision for your life. And sometimes you might feel like your effort, so your energy is not getting you the results that you expect. And this may cause you to feel low or even give up. But like I mentioned earlier, your transformation will come to you at the right time. Not a day before, not a day after. All you got to do is just show up every single day. If you miss out on a day or two, it doesn't matter. Keep showing up because with every step you're literally moving an inch closer to your goals and the fact that you're listening to this episode means that you're really committed and you can never say just how close you are to your transformation but just keep taking action. So Sahara, talk to us about a phase in your life when you went through a bad patch or maybe a major life challenge? What was your experience there? And then how did you overcome Mm.
1: it? Well, I think that life throws us obstacles in order to learn from them and become stronger. Um, When I was writing my first book, which was also about Ayurveda, Eat Right for Your Mind Body Type, I experienced a lot of obstacles with my family. My family did not see eye to eye with me. They're very into like allopathic traditional healing, and they did, definitely did not believe in Ayurveda and they weren't supportive of my work. And that was extremely difficult for me because, you know, growing up, I always wanted to make my family happy and have them be proud of me. And I was always like an overachiever. And the fact that I was doing something that I loved so much and no longer having my family's support was extremely difficult for me. And the more I would share with them what I was doing, the more that they would you know approach me from a really hostile and also fearful place. So it had to get to a point that we had to I had to set my boundaries of this is who I am and I can't I can't share with you everything that I'm doing if I met with this with this resentment and that was probably the hardest point of my life but I stuck to what I believed in and I continued, I continued studying, I continued learning. And now my parents are so proud of my work. They love Ayurvedic practices. They tell everyone about them and it's radically shifted. And I never would have imagined this day would come. And I truly believe that by you being true to your highest self, you are your parents' teachers. You are the one and who is brought to your family to shed that light. And it is so important to just be your authentic self and eventually people will come around.
0: Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing that story. I think it's really inspiring and something that most of our listeners will be able to relate to, um, you know, not getting the right support at the time that they need. Um, So as you look back in just one sentence, what is that one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Um, So the major life lesson is no matter what, stay true to who you are, because deep down inside, you know your soul's calling, you know your real self. And sometimes it's, it's easy to forget, but the true courage comes in coming back to your own true nature.
0: So thanks a lot. Once again, you mentioned that uh, this was your previous book and you were writing your book, but you faced many family related obstacles, uh, mainly because of the fact that they did not truly believe in Ayurveda and they were more of the allopathic belief uh, system. They believed more in that form of uh, traditional uh um, healthcare and you, you sort of lacked the moral support uh-huh. that you needed at that, at that point right because sometimes when you if you're in the right in the wrong group or your peers don't support you then you can change that but something that you cannot change is your uh, your family and your relatives and sometimes we really depend on them but at that point you uh, sort of set your boundaries and you communicated clearly in terms of what is possible and what is not and you and you just went ahead Uh, based on what you felt was right and as you as it turned out like you shared with us they ultimately uh, realized that you were following your passion and your purpose and they they were proud of you in terms of the results that you were able to show for yourself and i think this is a uh, a lesson for most of our listeners as well many of our listeners uh, action takers are people who uh, are not getting the right support from either their peers uh, maybe they they were brought up in uh, uh, in a family which has a certain a way of thinking, um, you know, maybe scarcity mindsets. Uh, maybe uh, maybe they've gone through, you know, many challenges in their lives and they had to take that big next step that all of us want to take in terms of our career, our lives, our relationships, and they don't really get that support from that family. But uh, like you've pointed out, you need to stay true to what you truly believe in uh, is the best Uh, for yourself and take action. Because if you have faith in you, and people will look at you, see your transformation, see the uh, things that you've learned and how you've changed the society around you, and they will themselves ask you, how do you do that? Uh, So thanks a lot for sharing that uh, that story.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: So Action Tribe, before we move on, let's take a few moments to Think about the idea of living your purpose. Some of you have already found your purpose in life. Maybe you're already living your calling and many of you are getting there. You really want to find out what that craft or that job or that business is that aligns with your soul's calling. So hang in there and keep taking action because you never really know how close you are to finding it. And when in doubt, always remember that the key lies in your heart. Use meditation to silence your mind. And once you do, you'll be able to notice the more subtle things about life. Use your heart to identify that thing or those things that you really love doing, that you're passionate about, and find out how can you be of more service to the world. Because as the poet Rumi once so eloquently put, let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love. It will not lead you astray. So Sahara, as on today, what is your life calling? What is your purpose?
1: My purpose is to help people step up to their highest selves. And what that means is to be their fullest expression, to really blossom into their own truest evolvement. So I recently actually started a podcast as well, which I need to interview you for, um, called The Highest Self Podcast. And it's all about people's stories as well as mine of getting to know what your path is and how you can always relate it to being your highest self. So for a long time, I wasn't sure what my calling is. And I knew it was just to help people and I wasn't sure how. But I realized that by me being my highest self, I am able to best inspire others, other people to follow suit.
0: Thanks for sharing. And with that, we've arrived at the last round for today, which is called the wisdom round. It contains four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So Sahara, what is that one piece of advice that someone has given you that you apply in your daily life?
1: Hmm. I think just march to your own drumbeat, something I've been doing my whole life, but just listen to your own music and dance your own rhythm and don't pay attention to what's going on around you.
0: So name a personal habit that keeps you going.
1: Personal habit is just time with myself. Um, I think it's so important to have time by yourself so you can really listen to your own thoughts because when we're around people all the time, we confuse their energy with our own.
0: And what do you do during the first two hours of of the morning? What is your morning routine like?
1: Um, I drink hot water and I like to walk my dog outside by the beach and then I will either practice yoga or Pilates.
0: Got it. Uh, And what is that one book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today?
1: I recently read a book that I loved called Many Lives, Many Masters. And it is written by a very well-known psychiatrist. He went to Cornell. He was very trained in the allopathic route. And while he was doing these um, sessions with one of his clients, she had a lot of anxiety and depression. And he was like, go back to when you first experienced the trauma. And in one of the sessions, she went back to a past life and he realized that she has all of these past lives experiences that she's picking up on. And he did not believe in past lives or anything like that. So he just started like kind of going along with it. He he wasn't sure if she was making it up or not, just documenting it. And it's all about these past lives that she goes through and he's conscious and he's writing down what she's saying. And between he walks her through the death in each life. And every single way that she died in her life was a fear that she has in this life. Drowning, choking, etc. And then by going through those fears in her past life, she, and she would not remember when she would come back into consciousness, she would not remember what she said, but she would come back and say, oh, for some reason, I'm no longer afraid of the dark. No, I'm no longer afraid of the water. And it was all of the things that she would go, go through in her past life. So I really recommend this book because... It is written for the Person who does not believe, who thinks that this might all be some woo woo stuff, and it shows you how true past lives are. You can. It's even on audiobook. It's not even that long to read. I've, it was like a three and a half hour long audiobook, so I really recommend that everyone reads that.
0: Well, thanks a lot for sharing. And speaking about audiobooks, Action Tribe, I know how much you love our book recommendations, and I know that many of you get these books as soon as you hear them shared on our show. And that's why audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial so that you can get to check out their service now audible in case you don't know has over a hundred and eighty thousand titles to choose from for your iphone android or kindle including bestsellers like the chakra system by Anadia judith autobiography of a yogi by paramahansa yogananda and a new earth by eckhart tolle they pretty much have most of the books to download your free audiobook today and to start listening, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Once again, that's our website, my7chakras.com forward slash free book and start listening right away. So Sahara, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and the insights about Ayurveda in such detail. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us how we can find you.
1: Ooh, um, I am grateful for the power of the internet that we can share ideas and learn anything at any time it is such a blessing that we are living in this day and age and people can find me um my podcast is the highest self podcast on itunes and soundcloud and my instagram is at i am sahara rose and i have a quiz that people can take to discover their unique mind body types on eatfeelfresh.com so it's an interactive quiz, and it gives you the percentage of your mind's type, your body's type, and it gives you a free three-day mini course on what Ayurveda is all about and how you can find the right foods and lifestyle practices for you.
0: Awesome. So there you go, Action Tribe. If you liked what you listened to today, then you can listen to more stuff on her podcast, The Highest Self podcast uh is it the highest cell podcast.com as well uh yes okay so highest cell podcast.com we'll have the link up in the show notes you can go to eatfeelfresh.com as well uh take the quiz as well as you can connect with sahara on instagram i am sahara rose we'll have all this up in the show notes so sahara thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about uh ayurveda the different archetypes within that seasonality and also taking us one step closer to a human revolution
1: Well, thank you so much for creating the sacred space and the safe container and spreading the wisdom around. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to com. Download your free gift, get inspired and take action. Transform your life today.